and welcome to Talks Comics. This is the podcast where I talk with friends about the comics and be really, really enjoying lately. Plus, I occasionally have a set of episodes and creator interviews. And no offence to any of the other creator interviews or creator chit-chats, as I've been calling them, that I've done so far. But this is easily the most exciting one I've done so far. It's, yeah, I'm unbelievably excited for you to hear this. I'm so glad to get this out there. I'm so glad the, the physical release of Claire is now that out there, at least issue one, as as if you listening to this, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, then it is out today, so go check it out. And if you didn't read the title or the cover image, then I am talking with the phenomenal Francis Manipal in this episode, and it was a great one. He, yeah, he, we talked for so long, he's so nice. Such a lengthy and decent conversation, talking about his art process, his career. I got to ask some questions about the run that got me into comics, uh, Francis's flash run with Brian Bracciolato, and yeah, I'm just I'm re- really pleased with this conversation, so hope you enjoy. And also, worth noting, uh, Clear, number one, well, Clear in general, written by Scott Snyder. One of my favourite writers, maybe my favourite writer, uh, lettered by Anne Watt Design, edited by Will Dennis. It was first published by Comicsology as a digital comic, and now the print edition is being published by Dark Horse Comics. So it was six digital issues, and those are now being printed in three physical issues. So highly, highly, highly recommend. Two of my favourite creators. Such a gorgeous series, such a fascinating premise. I absolutely adore this book, and I'm so excited to have it physically. And... If you're if you're just happy with a digital release, it is free to read on Comixology with an Amazon Prime, Kindle Unlimited, or Comixology Unlimited subscription. So I thought I'd be mentioning it. I thought I would mention that because that's how I originally read it with just Prime reading. So yeah, I don't think there's too much else for me to say, but just make sure to buy this book if you're interested. Make sure to pre-order the upcoming issues because again, like. Pre-orders are just essential to like, indie comics in this industry, and yeah, even when it's got the, the such phenomenal talent like Scott and Francis, then it is yeah, it still needs your support, and it really deserves it if you, at least in my opinion. So yeah, I, I hope you enjoy the conversation with Francis, and make sure to check him out on all his social medias on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, great YouTube channel, always love that. So we, we get into it towards the end here, but. Yeah, just enjoy and I'll see you on the other side. So, Francis, it's an honour to have you here. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, my pleasure, Joe. You've been uh, such a great supporter of my work and uh, I really appreciate that. Uh, of, of course, yeah. I mean, it is just such great work. So, yeah, how are you today? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. Um, completely deadlineless today. So. Ooh. I'm I'm literally I'm still signing these prints that I started signing yesterday. I'm a bit out of touch when it comes to signing things. It seems. Huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because isn't that the those the the clear plates or whatever those they're called? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like for retailers that probably order a ridiculous amount of copies. They they're giving uh, Dark Horse set up this promotion where they're giving them a bunch of um, copies of these prints, and then uh, I think I'm. I'm sketching. They asked me to sketch on like two of them, uh, but I think I can do five. So I, I'm gonna sketch like five in there, and it'll be like a golden ticket item or something like that. Um, yeah. 
Nice, yeah, that's awesome. It's, it, it can become a bit too much at times, which is, of course, the whole conversation that people have about varied covers and etc. And But it, it is fun when uh, publishers do those little extras like that to help promote the book and just like, give back to the readers, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, there's just two two thoughts i suppose right you could either be pessimistic and and look at it as a cash grab which it kind of is right (laughs) let's call it a spade a spade but you know i i don't know me personally i feel like as a fan i could either if i'm a completist yeah i would feel kind of like dang it i gotta buy all this but also like uh, from a different perspective i kind of like having options you know i Mm. I don't want to go to a restaurant and only have one thing to choose yeah and i feel like having variations or variant covers gives me or maybe other people the opportunity to pick whichever one they like you know mm, yeah exactly and some sometimes there are it's always fun when i it's not something i do very often but it's always cool when people like collect all the different variant covers for a particular book so i remember with uh, robin written by williamson and uh by gleb belnikov that was uh, at least the start that was a really fun run and point being that you had like variant covers for lots of the issues with that. And I remember like collecting them and I, I don't often buy uh, variant covers, like in addition to the main cover, but I, I think I bought like a few of those uh, in addition to the main issues because they, they weren't as gorgeous. So it is fun when you have those fun extra options like that. Yeah, thanks. I, uh, I earned my paycheck then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, those were fun. Those were, those were so much fun because it, it, I think the, I was only supposed to only do the first issue and I don't think there were any plans for me to stay on as a regular cover artist on it, but they really liked how the first one turned out and they had this idea like, Hey, maybe you can make one of every character and make it feel like a character selection screen in a video game or something like that. Um, So yeah. Yeah. yeah, So that was kind of the concept. Uh, And, you know, I ended up sticking around for the entire run or at least until every major character that was in the story was, was finally drawn. Then after that, you know, it was, uh, it was finished, but, uh, yeah, no, those, those are fun, especially since I got to really push the graphic element of my art. It's, it's pretty rare to be able to do that kind of stuff, especially in mainstream comics where, mm. you know, there's an expectation of a certain type of cover, especially when it comes to superheroes. Right. So with, with that book, I was really able to, you know, it it was quite a learning process for me, actually, because I got to use a different part of my brain that focused a lot more on design and being more thoughtful about the layouts and the composition of the cover rather than, oh, you know what? I can't think of a good composition, so I'll just draw the hell out of this and try to impress mm-hmm. people with the rendering or the textures or whatever. But with those covers, I really had to rely on the idea or, or rather the, mm. the graphic element to make the covers pop. Yeah. And it's interesting just looking at them now to remind myself of them. It's, as you say, with that, the layout and the idea, it's fun how they have that negative space uh, element to them where they have that, the solid color and then the character that's sort of got parts of that color in them where like Damien's got the red and uh, Conahawk's got the green and Ravager's got the yellow and it's all like, it's really cool how they have that sort of theme about them. Yeah, yeah. It was essentially we were picking, you know, thematically a color mm. that represented that particular character. And, you know, it was one of those things where execution-wise, it was actually quite easy to do. 
but right. it was it was more the thought process behind it right like okay which what am i going to take out right and in a lot of my work i find that most of the time i i still draw through you know so even though what you're seeing is like a blank area there were still musculatures and stuff like that drawn in there mm-hmm. but i decided to just take it out because the the graphic element of this stark uh open flat color is it's just so like to me anyways is very striking you know when when i go to the comic stores and i see uh a bunch of covers that are extremely detailed it my eyes read it as just a sea of gray but then when i see something that's very flat and um striking it to me i it, I think it's a, it's much more visible from a distance. So that was kind of a lot of my my goals is to make the cover very readable from five ten feet away. Yeah, that makes sense because there's something that I was just thinking about now where I'm of the opinion that lots of variant covers are good, but if it's just and I say like just in sort of inverted commas because if it's just of batman in like a different pose or like it's this this it sounds mean but if it looks generic it might be good art and i can still appreciate it but uh, i think what's really cool about varying covers is when they have that unique quality about them that isn't just more art of the character which again it might be good art but it's really cool when it stands out because i always think that personally i'm not the t- the type of person to like by, by just like any old variant cover if it's just going to go into one of my boxes because they're not like i'll never see it so if mm-hmm. i'm going to buy a variant cover it's something that's going to be like striking and as you say it's going to stand out and something that i sort of actively want to maybe frame or like have out or rather than just something that i think is like it looks kind of cool but i just sort of put it in a box and don't see it again like if i'm going to buy it i want to i want yeah, to want yeah. to look at it and appreciate it yeah exactly you want to be able to it's it's it, i feel like varying covers you always want it to be like poster worthy yeah you know? mm, yeah and the funny thing is, is that regular cover regular covers are tough man because you know you want to try to convey the story within the contents of the book uh mm. so that way you know when you're looking at the cover it's reflective of what's inside but with varying covers we have a lot more leeway where the focus is on trying to grab the audience's attention through that single image right and you know i i I feel guilty in saying that i I would say a good majority of the covers that i've done leans more towards okay can we make this a poster you know and it's somewhat reflective of the story but one of the things that i i really enjoyed doing was i i recently did the the series of um covers for the walking dead and being uh being a, a big walking dead fan you know, it was very easy for me to know which pivotal scenes in the book, which ones would work well on the covers, you know, and to that extent, I was able to draw visually what was happening inside the book, but then also kind of create imagery that is somewhat uh, representative of the atmosphere of that issue. You know, it wasn't a one-to-one depiction of something happening inside the book, but rather capturing the essence of what was going on in the story and the feelings that was going on in the story. And so, yeah, yeah, that it's, it's, it changes, you know, cover to cover, right? Sometimes the job is to just make a really cool poster looking cover. And sometimes, you know, if you're able to infuse that with story, then all the better. Yeah. It's cool when the covers have a very cinematic feel to them, which I feel like most of your 
artwork does, which I, I always love when, as you say, if they're like poster worthy or if they have, they give you those sort of narrative ideas about the, I think our main point with this sort of first part of the conversation is that uh, I think we like the very covers to sort of have that extra meaning and like beyond just being like a cash grab or even just like good art. If it's something like truly special, then that's when uh, like, we, I think uh, we really appreciate it from the sounds of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, at the end of the day, it is a cash grab. It's they're mm. they're doing it because it's mm. it's a sound business decision, uh, and you know. As, as artists, it's kind of just up to us to figure out to add meaning to it and, and put in an additional uh, sense of, of value to the to the piece that isn't just um, a monetary exchange, you know, even though it is. <laughs> yeah. So using that to sort of pivot towards Claire, so your new book uh, written by Scott Snyder being published by Dark Horse Comics and originally uh, published on sort of comicsology so do you want to so introduce the uh, the idea of clear for anyone that hasn't really heard of it yeah so clear is uh my, personally my first creator own book that I, i'm working on and it's essentially a story about uh this world where everybody gets to skin and filter what they see of the world you know so imagine joe if you're walking down the street and you don't want to live in in i think you're in london am i correct uh a bit sort of not quite there but that sort of area of england south england yeah, okay yeah so so imagine you 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 don't want to see your typical surroundings you know so, mm. so say i'm for, i'm in toronto let's say that that's not what i want to see i want to filter the world to look like Mario Kart or something like that, you know, or some, something fun. Or, you know, let's say that you decide, you know what, I, I really love Tim Burton's work. I want everything to look like that. So every individual in the world of Clear has the ability to filter their world as they see. So now you're, you're talking about a society who only views things through their own lens. So nobody sees the same thing. Now within this world is this detective who chooses to set his own personal settings to clear so he sees the world for as how it is and within that world there's this murder or possibly suicide but possibly a murder it's it's a detective story and he has to solve this this mystery in this world right so imagine you know how how tough it already is to investigate a crime but how do you investigate a crime in a world where no nobody can come to a consensus on what they've seen you know and and it's i would say that that is the that is just scratching the surface of the story um you know you're you i know that you're pretty caught up on the story so it it delves much deeper into that and it becomes quite philosophical with regards to how we all consume uh media and even specifically things that you know i'm going to stop there because i feel like i'm going to spoil a lot of things uh it's not, not to sound cryptic or, or metaphorical or, or cliched in a sense, but there there are depths to the story that goes beyond the surface. And I think this cool sci-fi world is kind of just an introduction to ease you into some of the other aspects and, and the other things that Scott and I wanted to shed a light on in, in the story. Yeah, I remember first hearing about that concept and that idea and it, it sounded fascinating to me 
I mean, I think at this point, I would probably give a try anything you or Scott do individually, let alone together, and let alone with such a, a cool idea as this. So when about did is this is this something that uh, Scott and you developed together, or is this something that he approached you, or how does that work? Because I know you already worked together on some like Justice League issues. I don't know when that was in in the, in the timeline of the development of this, but yeah, yeah, I I feel like I have to backtrack and look at that mm. Instagram post that I posted of when I went to New York. Uh, yeah, so during the time that we were working on Justice League, uh, my contract was about to expire, and I believe so was his. Mm, and right. we had been discussing, you know, what what are we going to do after this? You know, I've personally I've written and drawn the Flash and written and drawn batman on detective comics and now i was drawing justice league and then i wrote and drew trinity so it, it felt like what was next right and i think he was kind of in that arena as well you know where he's he's done it all uh at dc mm. and where, where do we go next so at that point in time um we just started talking like hey what do, what do you think about doing some creator owned stuff and i remember he had pitched me a few ideas that were early in its inception and he had pitched me this idea where he said hey i have this this idea of this this story set in the future where people have these you know at, at that time i i think it still is i think fortnite was really popular and you know with video game packs people are always selling skins and stuff like that so i i think he said you know what do you think of this this future where you know people are able to filter their environment around them however they want it to look. And I said, this sounds this sounds great because then I can use that as a, a way to experiment with my art and try different art styles and try different storytelling techniques, right? And mm. to me, it felt like that kernel of an idea gave me the same excitement as when I was working on The Flash where there was quite a lot of leeway and liberties I could take with my art. So that's essentially how it started, you know, just from that kernel of an idea. And then we just talked over the years, um, kind of fleshing it out. So I would say that, jeez, uh, I'll have to look at my Instagram post to see exactly <laughs> when that is. But I I think in the Instagram post, I was, I was going to New York, but we had been talking about the story at least a year prior to that. Um, so I, I would say before, you know, pencil touched paper we had been discussing the idea for at least a year and a half or, or so mm, nice yeah i'm i'm I'm, look, I'm looking at my own instagram right now to check <laughs> yeah sometimes it, it's useful for instagram is useful for those yeah. sorts of things yeah so it looks like i flew or... to new york 2019 so i think we had been talking about it around either early 2018 or late 2017 i would say so it, it had been percolating for a while nice and so this sort of leads nicely into one of the questions that I got when I asked. So I'll sort of paraphrase, I'll paraphrase it. But uh, Artem Zatara, hopefully that's how you pronounce it, said, I'm sure there will be a lot of questions about him, so I'll flip the coin. And basically to paraphrase, because Scott is a legend in his own right as, as a writer. So, I mean, what's it like in, in general, like working with him? Is there anything you've sort of learn in particular or sort of learn from each other or talk to each other or yeah what's it like yeah, yeah i mean you know i think as as a fan uh okay i'm going to use this as a, a bit of a metaphor so you know before i i took over the flash 
you know, it was it's obviously daunting. It's my favorite character as a kid, mm-hmm. you know, and it's very intimidating, very intimidating. You're you're afraid of screwing it up. You're afraid of getting off on the wrong foot. You're afraid of making the wrong impression. But once you're doing the work, everything shuts out. I'm, I'm not thinking about expectations. I'm not thinking about uh, what the fans are going to think. I'm not thinking about what my editors are going to think. I just start creating. And at that point in time, I... I don't become a fan anymore. I'm just a guy making something I enjoy, right? And I think that was the thing with Scott. You know, luckily having worked together at DC, you know, I, I'm I've been a longtime fan of his. Especially, I, I believe the first time I, I read his stuff was on American Vampire, and I thought that was nice. that was just incredible, you know. And I was like, I remember reading it and thinking, oh, this this guy is gonna be big. He's going to be big, you know, <laughs> long behold, like he's, he t- takes over Batman and you know, there was definitely an in- intimidation factor, but one, I, I feel like one of the key things is that, you know, if you look at my track record, there was a certain point in time where, you know, I would just do this job or that job and that's how the industry is. But once I got to be in a position where I got to choose my work, I, I started just working with people whom I liked that I had a, mm. a good personal rapport with, you know, like, so Brian Bucciolato, we've been friends for a long time. I've known him probably nice. since I was 19, 20 years old. Huh. Right. And I was good friends with, with Pete Tomasi. And that was actually one of the, the introductions for, for me and Scott was I, I did this short, this, this one shot with Pete that was part of this crossover that Scott was doing. And I think Scott saw that and then he got a hold of me and then we just started talking and you know he's he's a dad of three, and around that time I was freshly a dad of one. So I think we connected essentially as as being fathers, you know. And that's why that trip to New York and getting to hang out with his family was r- really pivotal in our relationship as collaborators. Because you know I I did I know I still do a little bit, you know, every now and then it's like oh shit I'm talking to scott snyder but a lot of it now is like oh yeah i'm, I'm talking to, to scott you know the father of three uh husband the guy who i went to the kids playground with you know just doing very normal things you know it, it's and i think that really helps in normalizing things because once you get that out of the way now we can get to the work right? mm. it's, it's one of those things where you don't you don't want to have too much reverence because then when you do you become afraid to interject some of your ideas because you're afraid mm, right. to overstep your bounds, right? But with, with Scott, we have a very easy collaborative relationship that at times I almost feel like we're both too nice in that, <laughs> you know, I feel like every time we have a conversation, it's like, we'll say, or I, you know, I'll say, oh, blah, 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 blah. And then he's like, and then he'll say, yeah, yeah. I mean, I have this idea, but whatever you want to do. And I'll say the same thing, <laughs> you know? So it's like, we don't want to offend each other, but at the same time, um, it's also the, the ease and comfort of something. Like the other day we were just talking and he said, ah, oh, he was about to say something. And he's like, ah, you know what? This is a bad idea. I'm like, no, 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 dude, we, we have to be open to express the bad ideas because I believe that a lot of times great ideas stem from those bad ideas, you know? And I think, I think you have to be comfortable. Sorry, one second. You have to be comfortable in a way that you can openly express that. You know, it's kind of like when you're in a relationship, right? You you can't mm. you can't go on your entire relationship showing the best of you and never like let's say fart, 
or something like that. You know, you have to be willing to show the the vulnerable part of yourself and the part of yourself that is insecure because you know once you discuss some of these things together i think that's when you get greater clarity on story right and i think after working for a while we started developing that you know i i have the same kind of relationship uh very similar relationship with, with brian bichlato you know we had we had a very in sync type of relationship in that there was no idea that was too embarrassing for us to share with each other, you know? And, you know, I, I think that having a good personal relationship, I think is very key in terms of having a, a good collaboration. Yeah, that, that's all really cool to hear. It's always, and I know, I know it won't always be like this, but it's always fun to hear that um, sometimes the like creators are getting along or are good friends. Like, I don't know if you listen to i know matthew rosenberg's podcast ashcan press where it's always fun when he's had um loads of different like creators on his his podcast ideas don't bleed and like loads of like just prominent writers in the industry that i love and lots of people love and just of hearing them talk like friends and i think there is something really fun both i imagine yeah as, as creatives when you do need to be vulnerable because the amount of time you're maybe spending together and also as fans it I think enhances the enjoyment of the comic books when as, as you sort of talked about the creators are humanized so yeah I think it's definitely sort of a, a good thing and an interesting thing from those multiple perspectives yeah it's like think of it this way you're 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 gonna go on a road trip would you rather go on a road trip with a complete stranger or with somebody that you know right mm-hmm. and that's that's how it feels like when you're creating uh, comic books. You know, it's 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 a very long process, right? So whoever mm. it is you're working with, you better get along with because, you know, if, if you don't, then it becomes a, a pretty um, shitty situation to be in, you know? Mm. So you talked about your sort of previous uh, experiences and a bit of previous connections and it sort of leads nicely into uh, another question I got from my friend Owen, Anomaly616 on New Massiverse on Twitter. So, great uh, person. And first of all, he, he sort of said how awesome this is. I think uh, I agree. This is awesome. And also, you've been one of his favorite artists ever since he, uh, he read The Flash from the News 52. And he's super excited to see your work on Claire. And I, I oh, sort of agree you. with him. Yeah, I completely agree with him on that. So, his question for you, which I think is a, a good one and sort of a, a cool one to tie into our conversation so far, but how would you say your drawing techniques have evolved in the intervening years since your first work on The Flash? And what, what, what aspect of Claire are you most excited to bring to life through your art? Yeah, so th- th- it's it's a pretty multifaceted question because there's there's two mm, things yeah. that are changing. the The visual look in my approach to the physical art and also the storytelling has also evolved right so right yeah if you were aware of my work before the flash you knew that it looked pretty different you know i I would say that i was probably in my very early 20s at that time and essentially being i was very close to the material and very close to my fanhood right so Mm -hmm. in my very early 20s i was probably 80% a fan, 20% a professional, if that makes any sense. Right. So 
what I was putting out there was reflective of the work that I was enjoying, right? It wasn't reflective of who I was. It was reflective of what I was enjoying at that time. Right. And I, I found that I, I learned a hard lesson in that whatever it was I was doing, I didn't feel like it was making an impact. Like, don't get me wrong. I was getting jobs. I was perfectly doing perfectly fine because, you know, I was hitting deadlines and I was reliable and I was decent, you know, and, you know, through failures of, of certain books, I, I kind of had this moment where, you know what, this didn't go as well as I had planned. And I thought that, you know, if I was echoing a certain look in my work that was very popular at the time that I would achieve a similar success. And when that didn't work out, I kind of just threw it all out the window and started from scratch. I, I think I it was a change of medium. You know, when I was penciling, I felt like with the pencil, I had 100% control of how it would look. So it was very easy for me to channel and, and reflect what I was a fan of. But when I started inking my own work, I, I was actually a really bad inker. But through the trial of working with a medium I wasn't familiar with, I think I started tapping into what I was naturally inclined to do, right? So at that time, mm. I remembered, you know, I really enjoyed doing watercolor in, in high school, but it was something that I had dropped altogether because I, I it just wasn't feasible in, in the comic world. It You know, it seemed like you either had to just pencil and you had to ink. And then around that time, I, I remember seeing uh, Tim Sale's work and I thought, wow, you know, this is this is similar to what I want to try to do, you know? And he was one of the few people doing ink washes and I just, I was floored. I'm like, okay, so I have to figure out, you know, the scanning process for this, right? Because it's completely different than the scanning process for a typical black and white line work. So once I solved that to, that aspect of it, I went full force into it. So I started, I, I believe I tested it on a couple issues of a Superman, Batman fill-in, but really I felt like that style really, came to fruition when I worked on Adventure Comics because it was very, very perfect for that particular book because it was in the farm. Uh, everything just had a more down-to-earth look to it. So it lent itself well to the fact that my ink lines were not clean. They weren't fresh. They were dirty. They were gritty. But I think there was something honest and um, raw about it that I think mm, really lent itself right, well yeah. to the story. And you know, prior to that, I have been wanting the Flash for a long time, and I kept getting denied. <laughs> and I, I think it was when I stopped trying to pursue that, and I decided, you know, what, I just want to develop as an artist, and this is where I'm going to go. And uh, ironically, that's how I got the Flash, right? So, mm -hmm. with with the Flash, it it was kind of, you know, the 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 watercolor ink wash that was developing, and on top of that, I started expanding on the storytelling aspect of it because you know being able to write it and draw it allowed me such an opportunity to overhaul or rather continue to develop as an artist both from what i'm drawing and and how i'm telling the story right so, so to me it felt like if mm. i told the story the same way that i did all the other stuff i was doing myself a disservice by not pushing the boundaries of what I could do with the visual storytelling, right? And, you know, as we get towards clear, the bridge between there is I essentially went from a young guy that was just drawing 
in a, as raw and visceral way as possible with with watercolors it's, it's, it's dirty it's gritty you know ink splashing everywhere you know so the the final artwork once you digitally color it has this look as if it was painted which is one of my favorite things that i love seeing is when people say ah this looks like it was painted and i'm like because it was <laughs> it was painted that's why it looks like that uh and with with as we get to clear essentially what happened was once i had my my first kid i i started looking for ways to be more efficient because you know i i I wanted to be a present father you know i didn't want to Mm. be completely consumed by my work which is a very typical and normal thing to happen in this industry and one of the things i started doing was i i dipped into digital artwork little by little first it was just the layouts that i would still do things traditionally and then it was like okay well let me try penciling digitally but then still ink it traditionally right and then eventually i dove headfirst into no that's a lie that's such a cliche i didn't dive headfirst into inking traditional uh, digitally it, it was a slow process and then eventually i did because it, it it actually was a slow process so the the beginning aspect of me working digitally i was slower than traditional but i knew that once i got a hang of it it was going to make things much more efficient right and once again, it gave me actually the same feeling that I had the first time I started inking my own work, which was it wasn't essentially a new a new avenue and new aspects of my art was opening up in front of me, you know? So that's when you started seeing work that was more graphic in nature, you know, where suddenly the colors are flat or suddenly the colors are very poppy and, and, and I'm using really vibrant colors that nobody in their right mind should be using, <laughs> you know? And it was essentially me beginning to adapt to the medium, right? And so the style, it was never me wanting to tweak the style. It was me adapting and adopting a new medium and then learning how to use that to its full potential, right? Because I think the mistake that I made at the beginning was trying to replicate what I did traditionally digitally. That was that was a really right. bad move because at that point, just just why don't I just do it traditionally, Right. And I, you know, essentially I reached this, this point where I realized, wait a second, why am I trying to replicate what I could do with a single brush stroke traditionally, but it takes so much effort to do that digitally. There's got to be a better way. And and there was, there was a completely different way. Right. And that's when you started seeing my work take on a more graphic element. Right. And I felt that that made me a better designer. It made me better at, at composition you know, and it just evolved, right? And and then once we got to clear, you know, it was the perfect book to further expand on that digital aspect because some, some parts of the book, I do digital painting. Some parts of the book I drew in, you know, a, an old school Warner Brothers animated style. And then some mm. aspects of the book look like a crime noir comic book, right? So I was able to really play around with the style that suited specific story elements, especially since we were doing a, a skin of the world or filtering it to how the, the person, the specific person sees it. Right. So, you know, so that's that particular evolution in terms of how the the book looks, you know, now recently I've started dabbling again with traditional work because now I have a little bit more time and, you know, sometimes you, you do miss that visceral nature 
you know, so I, I think I'll always be going back and forth. And I would say that, that the aesthetic style will probably keep adjusting to whatever medium I'm using. But I think a lot of the elements that stick are, are the compositional uh, stuff and a lot of the theory stuff, especially when it comes to the type of colors and, and palettes that I use. So it's, um, yeah, it's, I'm sorry. It's quite a long answer, but it, it's <laughs> such a, you know, it's such a process, you know, and I haven't even mentioned the storytelling part. I'm just talking mm. about how the art looks, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's all really cool to hear. And it sort of brings me on to another question leading on from that when there are some artists that I love and then there are some writers that I love, but then there are also some like incredible uh, creators, the writers and artists like Daniel Ron Johnson and Scotty Young. And so it, it, it's interesting looking through your career and seeing that the different times when you've done different things, like uh, sort of around like the flash time and so that 2010, that sort of era when you're being cuddled by Brian and anyone else. And then other times when like on Trinity, when, or, or on the flash, when you're sort of co-writing with Brian or on Trinity, when you're doing almost everything. And, and then other things like clear when you're just doing, I'm sorry, you're just, but like you're doing the art and, so it's cool to, so what, what's it like? And is there any sort of specific driving force between taking those different roles at different times? Or I don't know if that's something, you've, how much you've thought about that, but. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, yeah, I definitely think about that a lot. Mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, 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 I guess the best way to describe it is that imagine being a musician and you can play all the instruments and you like playing all the instruments. And it's kind of cool to mix all the tracks together. You know, you're on one hand, you're going to do the drums and then you're going to do the, the guitar, then you're going to sing and then, but you can only do one of each at a time. Right. And then you, you mm -hmm. mix it together. That's really satisfying. That is really, really artistically, holistically gratifying. Right. But also I, I like working with people, you know, mm -hmm. cause it's, it's fun. Right. Here's the thing. Like, Working in comics, it's a very uh, solitary job. I mean, now luckily I, I work in a studio with a couple other people who, you know, share the same uh, struggles as a as an artist and as a writer. And every now and then I, I go back and forth, you know, there's mm. there are times where I want to work alone because I have a, a specific vision in mind. And there are certain times where I I want to go uh, I want to go play with other kids. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's certain times where I just mm. want to sit there and, and play solitary. And then there are other times where I want to go play bridge, you know? And that's mm. kind of how I, I see the the creative effort when I'm bouncing back and forth, right? And th there are just certain times, right? Like, for instance, with, with The Flash, um, you know, working with Brian was, it solved it solved two problems that I had. Um, one was, this was the first big writing gig that I was going to get. So obviously I was nervous, you know, and I, I felt like I didn't want to go to the party alone. I wanted to bring a friend with right, me. Right. Yeah. Right. And problem number two was I knew that Brian had always wanted to write for a long time. And sometimes it's hard to be given those opportunities in the industry, um, you know, in general, you know, so when when DC approached me about writing The Flash, I remember saying I would do it on one condition 
if you let my friend Brian write it with me? And they said, whatever you want, whatever you want, right? So I called up Brian and I said, hey, man, well, what do you think about writing a comic book? And he's like, you think they'd let us? And I said, <laughs> think. I, 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 you know, it was a complete contract play at that time. I said, they kind of have no choice but to let us write it, you know? So that was that, you know, it was, so, so the flash was so much fun, you know, it, you know what I mean? Like it, it felt like it, it solidified our friendship and we were already good friends before. And then we became even better friends afterwards. And, you know, after that, we continued, we did detective comics, you know? And, you know, soon after that, I, I think I did, I did Trinity, I believe. Mm, and I think it was one of those things where once I got to Trinity, I had a specific idea in mind that, right. you know, yeah, with, with, with the, with the flash. So with the flash, I had an idea and then Brian came in and he helped me solidify the world. Like he, he was the grounded guy. You know, I was the guy that that would think crazy, and he was the guy that that facilitated a more structured playtime, right? And with Detective Comics, that one was even more collaborative in that we we both started from scratch, right? You know, so with the Flash, I had been a longtime fan since I was a kid, right? So it was actually the perfect blend because here's you have one guy that was a longtime fan, and then you have another guy with Brian who who didn't have the same kind of, of baggage that I had when it came to the flash. So he was able to, to, to look at it, look at things from the perspective of an outsider. And I was looking at it from the perspective of an insider. So we were able to, I think, come up with something really cool. And, but with detective, we were both coming in on the exact same ground, which is that we both felt like outsiders coming in. Right. So that one was, was a very interesting experiment and then when it came to trinity that in that aspect i had a very specific thing in mind that i wanted to try to accomplish so i decided to tackle it solo right and you know a after that that was, was quite a lot of work and then you know there were some some personal stuff that that my family and i went through and i just i i wanted to just draw i wanted to simplify my workload i wanted to simplify my emotional involvement in the works i just wanted to draw you know i wanted to go back to to what it was like when i was younger and so that's what i did you know i just i, I think i just drew justice league I, I just drew whatever it was that scott and i was working mm. on and then with the creator own stuff because you know scott's very collaborative it was i was beginning to reaccess the writing aspect of my brain and it was helping me rediscover my love for writing you know and so so now you know i'm kind of finding different ways here and there to to step back into that arena you know um so yeah it's it's just a it's a constant work in in progress and developing what works and kind of just following where my my i guess my creative inclinations are leading me yeah i mean as you've talked about it must be i, I can imagine it must be very refreshing to be able to switch and do those different things to avoid like burning out or and it just must be gratifying to like look at something like trinity when as you say you just wanted to not necessarily full control but like most of the control for at least most of the issues you worked on yeah i think it's it's less control and more sometimes when you have a very specific vision it it's almost unfair to bring someone in because then I'm right. asking them mm. to con conform to what I have. 
you know, then yeah. at that point, it's not a collaborative effort. It's it's just becomes like a dictatorship. Then what's the point, right? What's what's the point of working mm. with somebody when you're not fully utilizing what they have to offer, right? So you know, I, so that's why I, it it everything oscillates, right? It goes from I want to work on my own, I want to work with other people, I want to work on my own again, I want to work with other people, <laughs> right? Everything changes and shifts, you know. Mm. Yeah. So. A couple of last questions about the flash in particular. One from Agil Ufik. Sorry, I'm, I'm probably completely mispronounced that. But did you have a favorite moment or best moment working on the flash? Hmm. I would say. Well, there's two things, right? There's favorite moment within the story, and then there's favorite moments that occurred outside of the story. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um. I, I would say that, you know, I guess to answer the, the fan question, my, my, my favorite story element was was reintroducing um, Gorilla Grodd and oh, yeah. getting a chance to put my fingerprints on what, what, what the Speed Force meant to me, right? Mm. And addressing it in a different way that I had seen before. So, so to me, that was, that felt like such a, a fanboy dream come true to be able to add to the mythos of it uh, to be perfectly honest i'm not sure how much of it they've kept or if they've kept any of it at all but if i ever come back to the flash it's all coming back <laughs> you know for better or worse right and <laughs> so i i would say that would be one of my favorite moments and and and, and when gorilla grod um you know stakes his claim that he's supposed to be the one to have been hit by the lightning to me i i i thought that was really cool that's my favorite moment, you know. Um, another favorite moment that I would say is um, early on in the issues when when Barry was becoming paralyzed by his his, his speed mind because the mm. the whole conceit of the first arc was that you know you know it's it's such a cliched writing advice which is you know write what you know. Now I I don't know what it's like to run super fast. I don't know what it's like to be a superhero, but I know what it's like to be overwhelmed. Right. Mm. So that first arc was very reflective of what I was feeling at that time, which was being overwhelmed by the opportunities that I had in front of me. And, you know, also embracing the fact that, okay, we also have this chance to do something, you know. So, you know, when when it got uh, time to creating, um, I would say, I guess, uh, an antagonist for the first arc, I I created um, a Filipino character who you know part of it was okay how do i interject a part of my heritage into the story without it feeling shoehorned right and also give it enough screen time right and i thought you know what you know who gets a lot of screen times the bad guys <laughs> right so early on when when you see the way miguel is written in the book even though his story was heading towards being a, a direct antagonist to to barry you could sort of tell that he was kind of heading down that anti-hero route you know so that was a definitely a, a favorite moment of mine um at least when it comes to the creative part and then when it comes to the personal part uh the the behind the scenes stuff you know I, I would say i think the flash was also one of the first times that you know i i would say i i stood up for myself you know because for the for the most part you know it's easy to become a yes man who mm. wants to please your boss and and to some extent we always do that you know we mm. don't want to get fired right and i remember there was 
one issue of The Flash. Now, mind you, in retrospect, I do believe they were right, <laughs> um, but also not, if that makes sense. So th- there was this issue essentially where in the previous issue, we ended it off as if Barry Allen got shot in the head. So we played oh, off yeah. the entire next issue and really stretched that out. And he didn't appear until the last couple pages. And I remember my editor telling me that somebody came into his office with a copy of that book and slammed it on the desk and said, where the hell is the flash in this book? <laughs> right. And I didn't realize it would cause such a fuss. And I, you know, and it was one of those things where at that time, mind you, we're playing the stories ahead of time. So to me, it felt like the dramatic tension made sense. You know, I think when you're reading it as a trade paperback, I think that dramatic tension is achieved. But so so to me, I felt like I was vindicated and I was right. But from a monthly perspective, I also now understand how ridiculous it is that if you came in there for that month, and that was the first Flash book that you picked up and the Flash wasn't in it until the last two pages. I also now understand how disappointing that is especially since the the whole point and initiative of the new 52 was to draw in new readers right, right yeah. so so now i understand also why that happened so so you know what i mean so there's, there's two things at play which is the part of me that felt i was right and in hindsight you know both both things can be right you know just because one thing's right doesn't mean the other thing's wrong both can be right and that was also one of the things that came very close to me exiting the book very early on you know because i think they were wanting to they were wanting to bring in a different writer and you know they said look you can you can stick around and draw the book but maybe we maybe it's time to bring in you know quote unquote some real writers right <laughs> and i think you know obviously i was i was really disappointed and you know i was like oh how 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 could i get this wrong so badly because you know, if, uh, you know, running off the high of issue one, you know, I still remember the book being the best reviewed new 52 book. I remember reading this mm-hmm. Newsarama article where they, they said flash number one is the best of all the new 52 number ones. And to me, I, that may not mean much, but to me, it meant a lot, you know, cause it was my, the very first time I wrote something completely, you know? So, so to me that, that meant a lot. And I felt like we were doing something right. And, but it didn't mean that we weren't, that we weren't going to be prone to making mistakes, right? So I, I remember writing an email and saying, you know, look, I'm going to put on my big boy pants now. And I think I said, listen, when when I signed the contract at DC, I put my trust in you as a company in terms of, you know, I, I put my career in your hands, you know, effectively by saying, because when you sign these contracts, it says it stipulates that you can only work for DC or for whoever for an X number of years, right? So I, I, I am giving you three years of my life. And I think I said, if I'm going to give my trust, you know, now, now that I've given my trust to you, I said, I am asking you to put your trust in me, right? You know, because I, I, at that point in time, you know, I, I, I was, I'm not going to say who, but I was, I was also a big fan I was also a big fan of the writer that they tapped to to come in and take over. And we had talked, you know what I mean? It wasn't like I was close to the idea. We started talking Mm -hmm. and I had sent uh, this writer my plans for The Flash. And to his credit, I think he had very different ideas of what The Flash would have been. And we had a very frank talk. And I said, look, I I admire your work. I think you're 
freaking amazing and I would work with you any day of the week. But if you were in my position, I said, what would you do? And I think this, I really appreciated this because he said, you know what, if I were you, I wouldn't do it. You know, he said, because I, you know, he knew that he would come in and he would change everything, you know? And he was like, you know, I, I, I think you, you got to stick to your guns, you know? So I, I really appreciated that, you know, as, as much as, as he would have liked to do the book, but he gave me a very honest answer in that if he was in my position, he wouldn't do it. So I was like, I, I felt, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's, that gave me like the, the ability to stand up for myself and say, look, man, I know things look patchy now, but we're going to, we're going to stick it through. Right. And long behold, we were able to get past that speed bump. And then I think like a year later, a year later, I'm not naming names, but I remember said person, not, not the writer, but the person that almost took me off the book or replaced me came in with a trade paperback and said, you know, no other book that had a television show, the needle never moved on any of those trades, but for some reason, the, what the contents of this particular flash story combined with the flash TV show was just a massive success, you know? And he was like, you were right, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And, you know, but like I said, you look, I, I, I also, you know, I, I, I have a, a healthy dose of humility. And I said, you know, look, you were right too. You know what I mean? In, in hindsight, I understood why you have the main character in the book when it's a monthly book, right? But I, it, I think it was one of those things where it took both of us a year to see each other's perspectives, right? Which is it took, took him a year to look at the trade and read it together and understood what we were going for. And it took me a year later on to realize that what he was concerned about was the monthly experience of the reader, right? So it, it was such a pivotal learning moment for me as as a as a writer. And yeah, there was there was a lot of learning there during that time. Nice. Yeah, I mean that that's all so interesting to hear. And it makes me think of uh, a few different points where first of all, in terms of the creative decisions it's always interesting hearing those stories and it makes me think of how Chip Zdarsky has has talked about when people ask him the difference between writing Daredevil and Batman where I remember in a recent interview he he brought up the example again of how with Daredevil he had Matt out of the costume for like at least a dozen issues maybe and Mm -hmm. It's always interesting when he talks about, like, Daredevil is popular, but he's not popular enough that he, he can't do that. Whereas, like, he couldn't have Batman out of the costume for, say, like a dozen issues the same amount of time. And so it's always, yeah, because you, you have got to balance that monthly readers with those, like, trade readers. Because I was one of the people that... I, I remember there was, there was a YouTuber I watched that liked the Flash TV show. And so I was like, oh, it sounds fun. I'll, I'll try it out. And then that Christmas, my mum was like, oh, maybe you should ask for a like, like a Flash comic. Because I, I wasn't reading comics at that time. And the the your volume one with Brian from New, New 52 came up. And, and I, I tried it out and enjoyed it. And as they say, like, the rest is history. And mm-hmm. it, it, sort of finally, to talk about creative decisions, it's... It was one of the moments when I was enjoying that run, but then when I read Volume Four, that Reverse, when you just completely sort of reinvent the 
like a new reverse flash for the new 52, right? When I was in school at the time, and I was I was reading the trade at lunch, and then when the bell rang to go like to the afternoon registration, I just sort of kept reading it, walking back. I didn't really <laughs> like. I didn't even sort of like close it and just hold it. I was like practically reading it, walking along and like reading it in registration. I just like yeah, I just couldn't put it down. It's one of the early like coolest experiences when it's sort of like my first experience with something that was just like yeah, this is like so cool. And and as a story point, it, it like I mean his costume is just awesome. It it looks so cool. It's visually striking and etc. But yeah, thank it also you so works. Much, Ben. Thank you. Yeah, it, it also works really cool, like emotionally within the story and how it how it works. So it's always cool to have both that like artistic and storytelling elements and how those stuff come together. I always love that. Thanks. Yeah, no, that seriously that that means a lot. I'm gonna on my down days, I'll think about that story. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I it's funny because you know our our version of Reverse Flash with Daniel West. It's I think it's one of those things where. I think if you understood the story, you liked it. And I mm. think if you relied on the history, then you probably hated it. You mm. know? Um, but at the end of the day, look, we, we tried something different and it, it either connected or it didn't. And in, in this case, uh, I'm really glad that it connected, you know, because otherwise this would be really awkward. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, but you know, that's, that's how it is with everything, right? You, you take the mm. risk and you hope, you hope that it connects with somebody and you know, it's not going to connect with everybody, but you just hope that there's one or two people out there that, that feel the same way or is vibing on the same vibe. Yeah. I mean, yeah. When creators take those sort of wild uh, decisions and ideas, it's, as you say, it's not going to be for everyone. And it's not going to be, I mean, some people might not think it's executed well, and then some other people might love it. And, it just all depends on like people's tastes and their like experiences with the characters and all of that. So lots of factors for sure. Yeah, I I think ultimately it depends on if you if you connected with the story, then I think you're much more open to changes. But if if there was nothing in there that you connected with, then I could completely understand how this isn't you know for them, right? And, you know, it's, that's how it is. You're not going to please everybody. All, all we're trying to do is tell the best story that we can, you know, and sometimes it's telling the best story that we can at that time, right? Mm-hmm. You know, in the same way that I can acknowledge a, a year later that, yeah, you know what, this, this was a mistake. You know, at that time, it didn't feel like it. It felt like we were right, you know, and, you know, that's why it's, it's, it's hard to really be you know, ridiculously confident with the decisions that you make because you're always second thinking things. But all you can do is make decisions with the knowledge and the feelings that you have at that moment in time, you know? Mm, Yeah. So earlier you talked about a lot about the the look of the art and and you sort of didn't really get a chance to talk about the narrative aspects of it before we moved on to other things. So Mm -hmm. Dante Navart. Uh, asked on Instagram uh, if there's been well what has been one of the narrative decisions in a single comic of which you feel most proud mm. uh, I don't I wouldn't say there was a single one um obviously with the flash um I how could I not choose the 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 issue where the whole thing was like a quadruple spread you know where I think mm. the entire issue you know mind you I didn't draw the entire issue but 
I believe it was like 12 pages that or more or less i don't remember uh but you know when you're flipping through the book it's just they feel like uh you know separate um dull page spreads but if you were so you know monetarily inclined if you bought multiple copies you could put it all side by side and you could see the whole thing you could see the entire narrative of the story right and to me that was a culmination of everything that had been attempting on the book which is having the panels and the layout of the book reflect the speed and motion of the character mm. and the and the story, cool. right? So that that was the thing about the book, right? Was that because I was writing and drawing the book, I had the ability to work with a shorthand, you know, because some of the the ways I laid out the flash, there's no way you could have written that and have an artist draw it like that, you know, because it's it would be nonsensical, mm. <laughs> you know. Uh, but because the way Brian and I worked, it would start out with a conversation just like this. We would be on Skype for hours and, you know, we would talk about the story, we'd talk about the plot, and then I would disappear for a few days and I would begin to work on the layouts without a script just to get the feel and the rhythm of the story, you know? And then I would show it to Brian and say, hey, you know, and then we would walk through it. And we would walk through this thing. It, it felt almost like if you were shooting a film, you know, and you took before you bust out the good cameras you just take like some some photos of things to say hey this is what i think the storyboard will be like you know and then only then afterwards would we write the script once we nailed down the visual uh the visual rhythm of the story so so to me that was definitely a a high point creatively being able to take such deliberate risks with the story and the visual aspect of the storytelling and you know when i when we had left to go do detective comics i remember talking to brian you know i said you know the expectation on detective is that we're going to do the same thing with the flash with these layouts and then i i think i remember saying but we're not going to do that <laughs> you know because it's a completely different character right the flash is a very fluid character and i felt like the storytelling needed to reflect that even in the line work everything was the inks were done with brushes so it had a very fluid smooth motion you know and the panels were were diagonal it it conveyed speed even the panel shapes and i said but with detective comics bruce wayne is a completely different character he's much more of a rigid character you know he's not as free-flowing so when you look at detective the majority of the book is spent on very confined restricted squared panels you know it was very rare that i broke the panels and it was very rare that i did anything unconventional because i felt that the story and the character in the world of gotham had this very claustrophobic confined feel to it and i wanted the panels and the reading experience to reflect that you know so that one was a completely different experience you know and you know as we jump forward to something like clear again we're now talking a completely different experience where we're talking layers, right? So actually, initially in the early stages of of the book, I I thought that we would be able to utilize the fact that we were going digital first by having extra ability to create layers. So some of the earlier pages, I actually 
have two versions of it one which is just the page with with you seeing the reality as it is and then i would draw on a second page an overlay of what that person was seeing through their eyes right so you know once again mm. with that one we started huh. experimenting with layering you know and in that one that one in particular the i would say the big leap in terms of the the visual narrative whereas flash and detective really played up the panel shapes in creating the feeling you know the, with the flash the panel shapes reflecting speed and motion with detective the panel shapes reflecting rigidity and and being confined you know clear aside from the interesting storytelling techniques that we were using with the layers i felt that the real breakthrough on that one was using color theory to really amplify the emotional experience as you're reading the book right because you know working at dc you know flash he has to be red it doesn't make sense mm. for him to be any other color and same thing with with batman or superman batman's a little bit more flexible but for the most part um you had to color them quote unquote on model right you know mm. but with clear i was able to fully utilize that the environment was going to dictate what the colors of the characters are and the atmosphere of the scene was going to dictate what that color palette is, right? So, you know, in, in traditional superhero comics, the Flash could be standing under a green light, you know, a green neon light, but I would still have to color him red because you need to know that it's the Flash, right? Otherwise, if I colored him green, reflective and light, people might think that he's Green Lantern Flash. But on clear, you know, I was able to really utilize some of the things that i love in in cinema you know like like cinematographers who would really play with lighting to create an ambiance and a mood for the scene right so each you know when i would do the layouts for clear i would plan out each scene also with a color palette in mind so that every time you jump to a new scene there's a new color that is meant to invoke a specific emotion and and a new atmosphere for that particular scene so so yeah it's um it's, it's different every every story i i don't know what the next one will be like i i have an idea i of what the next book will look like but you know and, and i think i i will say i i have to say thank you to a lot of the the readers who have stuck with me from the beginning because i know that you know, when you look at my work now to, you know, I, I know that every time you change and shift, some people depart because maybe it's not what they want anymore. But, you know, I'm, me personally, I'm, I'm always interested in, in just trying different things. Uh, so I, I really appreciate everybody who's, who's stuck with me as the, the art and the stories and the style changes, you know, because I know that it, it might not be their cup of tea anymore, you know, um, but uh, I'm, yeah, anyways, I'm just appreciative of anybody that's stuck through who who still reads my stuff now who read it when they read The Flash or Adventure Comics because it's, it's drastically different from, from then as it is now. But I think there's certain, aside from the superficial aesthetics of what something looks like, I believe that there's, there's a certain um, atmosphere to my art that I think carries through through the different styles. So I, I think there's a certain sensibility that is consistent, even though the, the art style uh, whether it's visually um, changing or whether the the cadency of my storytelling is also changing, so so yeah, it, yeah, it's just a it's a long winded way to say thank you if you've you've stuck around. Yeah, and it, it's so cool hearing the the level of like detail and care and 
sort of passion and thought that goes into just like your your, your artwork and your work in general when pages it's always cool when some when a comic like utilizes the like panelling in such like a creative way even within the confines of a superhero comic like with the flash or so just in general like like down to the the color theory and because i know that's it's something that gets brought up about how like like colorists when it's like individual colorists are and letterers are sort of overlooked and so to I know I think I think like I still mentioned earlier with like artists are also writers and it's always cool with like artists who like color their own work and again just like the level of like care that goes into it it's always really like exciting and cool to hear about. Yeah, I think for better or worse, it's it's the truest form of what that uh, artist was intending for you to see. You know, mm. um, you know I. I Every artist has this meter in their brain, right? Where there's the image I see in my head and then there's what's reflected on the final piece of art, right? Now, I feel like most, a successful hit rate is, if it looks 70% close to what you had in your brain, that's a success. You know, I feel like most of us live around the 40 to 50%, you know, because there's what we see in the, our brain and then there's the our own artistic limitations of what we can physically do or what we're, you know, um, capable of doing, right? So for better or worse, I think when you take on the entire task, there's just a sense of, um, I don't know, there's just trying to find the right word for it, but there's just a sense of, of wholeness to it. You know, like you're, you're not looking at one parts of a whole, you're, you're experiencing the full intention of what that artist is trying to convey and what they're trying to say. Right. And, you know, I'm not the best inker, nor am I the best colorist, you know, far from it, very far from it. But I think what I'm able to produce when I do my own stuff is something that is unique and different. That is, you know, kind of my own flavor, I guess, you know, that, that is, it's a little bit, not that it's harder to replicate because you can replicate anybody's art style from a superficial level. But I think when you see my work, there's, there's a certain, um, I guess, atmosphere or sensibility that the artwork reflects, you know, perhaps some of the things that are the sensibilities or the, there's just something more revealing about it, if that makes sense. You know, it, it feels more raw. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned about just trying to like do what you can do and it, it sounds cliche, but I think the whole idea of just trying to be the best version of yourself rather than any particular version of anyone else's is all you can do really especially in such a creative field yeah no you've, you've nailed it on the head that's that's all you can do you know i i think earlier early on in my early in my career it was very easy to compare myself to others and try to replicate and, and achieve what they've achieved you know because you know let's say you're a fan of this artist or that writer it's very easy to try to say, oh, they found success by doing that. I want to try that. And, you know, over the years of experience, you realize that that works for them because it's them, you know, and the only way for any of us to... Now, this depends on how you define success, right? But if you define success by by saying that what I'm portraying on the paper is completely me and not 
a reflection of what I see around me. It's it's something that is indicative of who I am as a person. Then I would say that's a success. You know. Mm, yeah. So you touched on earlier the very briefly the digital first aspect of Claire with the whole comicsology deal and what up four six eight on the comic gate some of these questions were from that site and anyone listening great site always mention it but they were Mm -hmm. wondering how your experience was making comics for comicsology as opposed to sort of the the regular print publishers that you're used to there's anything different there or anything oh yeah absolutely i mean Mm -hmm. some of the layouts that i did early on uh i mean even the first issue I mm. I created this dull page spread that bled into each other and it, it didn't work digitally. The reading experience was completely ruined because it, it didn't work, you know? Mm. So I had to right. learn to adapt to a more vertical type of storytelling or or horizontal, depending on how you read it on your on your device. Right. So I I would say the biggest adjustments was that I became much more focused with what was happening in the panel rather than how the panels were shaped, right? So I think that is one of the reasons why I I focused so intensely on color theory and composition. Mm. And because, you know, to me, telling a story in comicsology actually was more storytelling 101. You know, it was reverting. It it felt like it was dialing it back, you know, okay, the stuff that I did on the flash, it's not going to work here. You know, I need to dial it back. And, you know, it's... It, it feels equivalent to imagine you're like an, I don't know, like an experimental band. And then like mm, right. 20 years later, you're like, you know what? We're going to release an acoustic set, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So that, that's what it felt like. And, and it, it became more about what's in it and the contents of the panel than, than the hype around the stuff. You know, it, it, it just, uh, it's different, man, and and I think you could look at these things as either a hindrance or an opportunity to um, explore different aspects. And I, I think early on it, it was a little bit of a, a difficult adjustment, but once I got a hang of it, you know, my brain started tapping into, oh, okay, well, if it's like this, then if I make the panels like this or like that, then the reading experience will be completely different, you know. And if I you know, I, cause, you know, even when I was reading comics, I'm, okay, if, if they're reading this thing horizontally, if I place stuff on the left and I put this on the right, it can feel like it's panning. You know what I mean? So I, I got, I started diving mm. pretty deep into that, that whole aspect of it and, and the different reading experience depending on it. And what's kind of neat about the printed version is that from my understanding, the printed version is going to have some of the original layouts. So oh, some nice. of the double page spreads are going to be back, right? Because in the digital version, we did away with the double page spread because it doesn't work, right? So the the traditional print medium, I believe, is going to have, uh, it's going to have a different look. It's going to have a different look because the the some, some of the pages are going to have a different layout than what was seen digitally. Nice. So if and when you can hopefully work with scott again and something else would you want that to be like more clear on the world of clear or something completely new or both or uh, i can't say but no. we're we're we'll have to try we're very we're very deep into the next uh idea nice. i'll leave it at that <laughs> okay fair enough um so one, one of the last questions that i have was submitted from the go for x mm-hmm. is 
do you uh, obviously if you do you won't be able to talk about it but do you have like a dream project in mind either like by yourself or with anyone else and and this might be hard to, to answer but do you have a favorite book you've worked on um i don't have a favorite book but i have as i mentioned before there's elements of each book that is a favorite of mine you know mm. you know when you're working on a comic book it, it really can you know when i look at my shelf and i see the flash and i see batman that's what everyone would see you you see the flash you see batman but to be honest when i look at the flash when i look at that i'm like that was a point in time when i was in my 20s and i lived on the harbor front i lived right across from the cn tower you know that was those were the days where i would be in the studio for 36 hours and then once i was finished immediately go to a bar and hang out with friends you know what i mean like each of these things become timestamps of of my own personal history right so mm-hmm. it's it's hard for me to pick one because it's it's like saying what was the, your favorite part of your life you know there's there's different excuse me there's different aspects to um there's different aspects to each book that i really enjoy right um but when it comes to dream projects i i think early on in my career you know yeah i really want to draw the flash and i got to do it yeah i really want to draw batman got to do it <laughs> i really want to draw justice league or a crossover i got to do it you know I, <laughs> I i would say one of the few things i'd really love to i've, I've drawn a couple covers with spider-man but he's always been a, a big favorite of mine um but one of the things that i learned is that you know i'm not sure how this is going to come off this may come off poorly or positively i'm not really sure but you know when i think a lot about I have extreme gratitude that I got to work on The Flash, but it's one of those things where, as I mentioned earlier, as I was leading up to the project, I was as excited as excited can be as a fan. But once I'm working mm-hmm. on it, I'm just working on it. I'm not thinking about it as a fan. I'm thinking about it as a person creating the work, right? And mm-hmm. I realized that I can pretty much find joy in anything I'm working on, you know? And I've, I'm in a fortunate position in my career that I, I don't have to work on something that I have no interest in, you know? So you can be guaranteed that if I'm working on something, I have a very deep interest in whatever that is, you know? And, you know, I will say that the last couple of years have been very quiet for me, you know, mm. um, with, with clear being digital and aside from the covers that I've done, I've, Believe it or not, I, I've had a few instances at, at the one convention that I've gone to because I, I don't go to very many where some people thought that I had retired. <laughs> and that's when you kind of realize that a lot of people are not on always on social media. Right, They're not yeah. following up on comic book news. They just go to the store, right? And they, some of these people that I, I met at conventions, they've noticed that over the last couple of years, aside from covers, they haven't seen anything from me. So I think there's this perception that that perhaps I had retired or left or something like that um so and i I will say 2023 will also be a fairly quiet year for me aside from clear coming out in print but 2024 there's a lot of stuff happening right now that is a culmination of everything that i've been attempting to do over the last few years so uh 2024 the the I think I can confidently say this without getting in trouble. I'm, I'm going to be working on another creator-owned book that will be launching in 2024. Nice. And uh, which I'm beginning 
probably in the next couple of weeks. And 2024 will also be me returning to um, a company with a character that I think a lot of people have been wanting me to do for a while. So um, yeah, quiet 2023, but I think it's going to be a really loud 2024, which is such a tease because 2023 is just beginning. But um, sometimes that's just how it is, you know? Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. That's all exciting to, to hear. And I, I can't remember if you, if I heard it in one of your, one of your YouTube videos, or uh, I'm sure I might have heard it somewhere else as well, but I think you touched on an interesting idea of an artist or just a creator in general and their presence on the comic book stands mm-hmm. and just what kind of, yeah, like like a role that plays in uh, like their career and like their fans and everything. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I think early on in Clear, I, I took on so much cover work because I wanted to stay within mm-hmm. the, uh, yeah. the eyesight yeah. of, of, of fans, um, you know. So there's there's definitely oh it's it's a balance right where you don't want to disappear and people forget, uh, but at the same time it's you know I I don't want to stay visible at the expense of getting to develop and create you know meaningful stories yeah right? that you know because like covers and and things like that sometimes it's it's a it's a temporary fix you know um but you know i'm not it all depends on how you look at it right because it's it's, mm. it's doing covers definitely keep you and i hate to using the word but it keeps you relevant you know um but you know i mean the when i was working on the flash you know i, I don't think you saw me do very many covers because i was i was too busy <laughs> you know but you know um i'm very fortunate enough that people still talk about that right and you know it's it's not like somebody saying, "Hey, remember this cover that you did?" I mean, obviously, we started off this podcast by saying, "Hey, remember this cover that you did?" <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> but you know what I mean? It it doesn't have as long of a legs because you know they they were cool drawings that you saw, but it didn't have this. You know, we, we talked about the Robin covers; and they were cool. They were cool, but mm-hmm. it, it didn't have the same impact as you know when you were sharing your story of of reading um about Reverse Flash. You know, yeah. So one has um longer lasting. Uh, a longer lasting impact and the other one has a shorter uh, a louder but shorter impact right so i i think it all just depends on your perspective of trying to balance both you know but sometimes when you balance both that's when it becomes very very difficult you know so sometimes you have to choose one over over the other so yeah and then so i sort of mentioned the youtube channel but to talk a bit more specifically about that you've you you were putting out lots of various videos anyway, but then more recently, you've had the a work in progress series about the development of I want to say issue three of Clear or something. Sorry, something like that. But it, so that's four, interesting. Yeah. To, mm, issue four. Sorry, that's so that's interesting to see your um. I, I know this is something that I've seen in, in the comments of the video in terms of your like video editing and how you that that's sort of been you've sort of been developing that and well I think first of all I, I was going to say I think it's cool to have that connection on on YouTube where you sort of put that advice out there and like very active like replying to people's comments when you can and so mm-hmm. I just wondered what was the any sort of thoughts that went into what what sort of made you want to to create that YouTube channel, then sort of create those videos ah, like that. Well, Sorry, a bit of a roundabout. 
question. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll be answering this very much in depth in my next episode. Uh, oh, nice. <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry, real quick before I, I would I would love to answer this this question, and then I, I will answer this question. But just a quick <laughs> note, I, I have to leave exactly at 4 o'clock because I have a meeting at 4. But uh, I'll, I'll talk right up until until uh times 343 yeah right right up to the to the top of the hour if that's okay yeah um, yeah that's fine I, I appreciate all the time you've given already yeah yeah no, no no worries no worries um so anyways yeah no i i appreciate this question because i desperately want to answer this um <laughs> and and here's the reason right so a lot of the things like with with the video editing and so this is a topic that i'll be approaching on the next episode mm. but i'll i'll give you the the spoiler right because it's not a spoiler right so essentially you know during the the pandemic i and you know every now and then you get bored you get bored of what you're already doing you know and i was also going through uh specifically a pretty dark time you know just emotionally and all that stuff and i just i didn't find joy in my work you know it was yeah i just needed like an escape i needed an outlet and I picked up my camera again. Uh, I used to take photographs a long time ago. I really enjoyed um, architectural photography, but it was, you know, we were in a pandemic. We couldn't leave, right? And yeah, so I just I just fell back in love with taking pictures. And I discovered, hey, this, you know, I dabbled in it a little bit a long time ago, but the technology wasn't that advanced yet. And I also the process of editing and learning new software felt v- very daunting. Um so anyways, I picked up a camera and I realized, yeah, shoot, I can, I can make videos. So I'm like, what, what do I do with these videos? <laughs> right. You know? So I was just filming moments with my family and, you know, I had all this footage and I didn't really know what to do with them. Right. So I literally YouTube how to use editing softwares. And I already had a subscription to Adobe Photoshop and I had all the other stuff cause I had, you know, gotten the, the bundle and so I'm like, oh, okay, I have Adobe Premiere. Let me open this up. I'm like, okay, I have no clue how to use this. This looks extremely intimidating. You know, it may as well look like hieroglyphics to me. Uh, so I, I YouTube how to how to use this stuff, right? And, you know, kind of as I'm going through YouTube and, and essentially trying to learn like a new, a new software, I kind of just started realizing I'm like, oh, okay, so some, some channels, it's just... You know, I'm just getting the facts of what I need. And then there are some channels where I realized that, you know, I was getting more than the knowledge I was seeking. You know, like I may have been looking for, oh, how do I how do I use this part of my camera? Because there was also a lot that I I had completely forgotten about the camera, you know. So I was like, oh, how do how what what's an f-stop? I I don't know. What's a shutter speed? I have no clue. Right. So I was Mm -hmm. researching all of that as well. And I realized during that research. I was like, oh, some some of these um, videos are more compelling than others, and I realized that some of the videos I was watching, it was more than just a tutorial on how to use something. It was starting to encroach on a very like kind of um, uh, not not typical. It it was hitting a, a storytelling function where I realized I was becoming drawn to certain uh, people who. Essentially, becoming drawn to certain YouTubers who were like, I guess, for a lack of a better word, a character of that video, right? Mm, and right. with with certain creators having a, 
a structure that felt like storytelling, it was really appealing. And like, to me, the real aha moment was, you know, when I discovered, you know, I, I'm like, what's, what's vlogging? I don't, I don't know what that is. You know, <laughs> I, I remembered I used to have a live journal <laughs> and I used to have a blog, you know, so I, I, yeah, vlog. Okay. Let, let me look into this. And at first I thought it was kind of like cheesy or whatever. And then I saw, I started watching, uh, uh, Casey Neistat stuff. I'm like, oh wow, okay, this is pretty good. You know, this this hits different than than most vlogs that I see. You know, and you know, I, I he he just took kind of filmmaking sensibilities to it, and mm. I realized as I was editing my videos, I started applying the same storytelling sensibilities that I did with my comic book work. And right, you know, I had mentioned it before that you know, I kind of fell out of writing because, you know, there was just certain things that, uh, you know, just to, to cut a long story short, you know, when you're writing comics, I, I feel like there needs to be a sense of optimism, uh, especially when you're writing superheroes. And, you know, I, like I said, I, I, it was a certain point in my life where I, I didn't feel that optimism and it was, it was difficult to write. And with the YouTube stuff, I actually I didn't realize that when I was editing the stuff that I was writing, if that makes sense, mm. you know? So here I was playing around with video, uh, playing around with cameras, playing around with the software editing. And unbeknownst to me, I was slowly falling back into writing, you know, and, and storytelling. Cause that's the thing, right? When, when you're editing these videos, these are all more or less separate video clips and when you're looking at all of the, these files, they don't they don't mean anything scattered throughout. But once I start editing them together, I realize, oh, there's there's a story here that's unfolding. And what's interesting about the YouTube videos is that there's two things at play. There's what I captured on that day, you know, because with a work in progress, everything on there, I, I filmed every day during the the progress of that of the fourth issue of Clear. So there's what I filmed that day, and then there's what I know now as I'm editing them, right? So it's mm, it's very right. interesting to be living in the past as I'm looking through these these clips and all this yeah. footage, and also looking at it through the lens of somebody who has finished living that, and I have a bit of a I can look at it in retrospect, right? So that's why some mm. some videos, the stuff I'm talking about, those are live at least live at that time. And then there are some where there's a, there's a, there's a voiceover or there's a new talking head that I filmed with the knowledge of what I know now being applied to what I filmed and experienced a year ago. Right. right interesting. So mm. it, it's a very, I, 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 the best way to describe what the videos are turning into is it's similar to when I used to have live journal as a way to just stretch that writing muscle to just write about, you know, write about your life and your experience. This, mm. you know, back then, like nobody knew who any of us were. So it was very easy <laughs> to go in live journal and just freely express yourself. Right. And in some sense, I think what's exciting me about YouTube is that one, there's no expectations of what I do there. My audience on YouTube is relatively small compared to my other social media platforms. But even though it's small, I feel like the 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 people who watch the the YouTube videos, I I feel like we spend 
a much longer and more intimate time together. Cause like, you know, on Instagram, you look at my drawing, you look at it for two seconds. Maybe you'll tap, maybe you don't, maybe you comment, maybe you don't. Either way, the interaction that you have is probably maybe a minute, right? If not just seconds, right? And, but in YouTube, I feel the, the reason why I feel that I, I need to comment is that a lot of the people that comment took the time to mm. watch this for 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 12 minutes or however long it is. Right. It I, I, to me, like YouTube feels like an open conversation, you know, mm. and and to me, Instagram feels like here I'm, I'm sharing what I worked on. But to me, YouTube feels like a conversation between what my thoughts are and along with the audience, you know, so, so to me, YouTube feels um, very, very personal. And also it's it's using a lot of what I know how to do creatively in comic books, right? So a lot of the editing techniques and a lot of the cinematography that I use on my YouTube channel, it's the same, you know, kind of, uh, I guess, composition that I would have made in comics, or it's the same kind of, instead of panels, we're talking edit cuts, right? So maybe this thing is a, a, a nine panel grid, like, like a Watchmen. Okay, so it's how do you apply that in editing? That's simple, a nine panel grid, in a in a YouTube video, those are two two three second clips that are are, are in short bursts, right? In a long right. horizontal, mm. you know, or or a long horizontal widescreen type panel, that's that's a unit of time, right? That means I want you to look at this thing for maybe five, eight, ten seconds, right? So I'm I'm applying so everything that I know in comics and how to tell a visual story in comics is essentially what I'm doing on YouTube, if, if that makes any sense at all. So, so to me, it, it felt very natural and uh, satisfying, uh, mostly because I didn't realize that I was applying comic book stuff. I just enjoyed doing something that I didn't know how to do, you know? Yeah, I think that's... It's interesting because, like, on the one hand, that feels... I mean, I mean, it's fascinating to hear you talk about it, and it feels, it sounds like very innovative, innovative, that's it. But it also feels, obvious feels like the wrong word, but it feels like the word I want to use, where it feels like equally innovative, but also it just makes sense. Like, why wouldn't you use those skills that you've learned? And I think it's something that's come up a few times as a theme in this interview about you taking those skills and applying them to like writing and art or drawing or coloring or whatever. And now like, like video editing. So yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's such mm. a holistic thing. Like the funny thing is, is that my initial, <laughs> my initial plans for these videos was for them to actually come out almost in real time as I was filming these. Right. So these videos are more than one year late. Right. So right, yeah. I had actually hired a video editor and he's actually, he's really good. He's really good. He's, he's the one that edited, um, uh, episode two. Right. So we edited right. that one together. Oh. Right. So I would say episode two is like, um, you know, we were going on it back and forth and, but it was one of those things where I think that was the most polished one and he had like some cool effects and stuff with some of the title cards I thought that was incredible you know I was like I was sold and but it was one of those things where it felt like having somebody else edit the videos felt like somebody else inking my work or it felt like somebody right. else coloring mm. my work you know so 
I was a slower editor, but I realized that sometimes I, I didn't know what the narrative was until I started editing them and looking at the footage and looking through them. Right. Because when for, for episode two, I think that worked perfectly with another editor because that one, you know, it was almost like a list. Hey, here are the things that I think you need to know for how to break into comics. So it was very simple, you know, but in the newer videos, you can see that it's becoming less of a how to do something and it's becoming closer to why I do something, mm. you know, and it's hard for me to put, to communicate what's in my brain with, with somebody else. Cause when you're editing and you're looking through the footage, you can't read what's on my mind with regards to why I do something. Right. Yeah. So, so, you know, like, you know, uh, I, I, unfortunately I, I decided to just go back to editing it myself again, Jamie's amazing editor, but it just felt like having somebody else edit the videos felt like I was missing an opportunity to, you know, not reveal more of myself. It's just every work that you do, whether it's comic books or videos, reveals something of who you are, right? And I felt like when somebody else was editing the videos, it felt like I was letting somebody else tell my story, you know? Right, yeah. Whereas only, you know, I live with myself, so I know who I am, mm. <laughs> you know? So I, I, I just feel like I'm the... I'm the only one that can tell this story, not because it's better, you know, not, not, it's not better, but it's, it's closer to who I am. If that makes sense, you know, like there's no, there's no other Joe around, you know, like your voice is, is distinctly yours. And I, I, I just felt like, you know, I, I forgoed the, the, the polish, uh, that, uh, Jamie had with his editing, um, in, in exchange to have the videos be closer to um, this, the same rhythm and candor that I have, even in the way that I speak or the way that I think about things, you know? Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, I, I can delve super deep into this thing because I, I've, I've really fallen down a rabbit hole that, um, you know, a lot of people that, that film things, they don't want to get into the editing room because it's boring. But to me, it's so much fun. It, like I said, it's equivalent to, once you write for yourself, once you color your own work, once you ink your own work, it's really difficult to start separating each of those elements. And I think with the videos, it's going really slow because, you know, that's that's not my full-time job. I kind of just do that on the side, you know. And I it's it's just a different approach, right? Because, you know, the, the, like I said, they, they've become uh, a creative outlet for me that is not separate from my comics because the subject matter are comic books. But, you know, I'm sharing what I know from my work and my experience, but through the lens of me learning how to make videos and, and you know, and edit and videography and all that stuff, you know, so it's, um, it's something that I really enjoy. And it's, it's something that I, I, I feel um, is very creatively rewarding. Yeah. I mean, when we... When when people just in general create these creative uh, like adventures, whether that's uh, a comic themselves or like an actual like, piece of storytelling or something more like around the industry or and just anything in general, really, in terms of like this podcast or your or YouTube channel or all of the many amazing podcasts and YouTube channels out there, 
as you say, it's all a very like intensely personal like experience and creation, which I think equally it's nice to create that as yourself and have part of yourself like in that. But then also the idea of like sharing with people becomes like even more special because you used the word intimate earlier, which I think is very appropriate in terms of. I know, and to honest, like with Scott as well, with his current like comic writing classes on his Substack and all of the writing classes that he's talked about over the years, and any sort of creator that is able to uh, in- interact with fans and have that connection to the readers that are experiencing their work, and yeah, just it, just in general, I think it's a uh, r- really important and also just generally nice experience to have where you're sharing things with other people yeah yeah i mean the the interesting thing about it is that like when i'm when i'm filming that stuff and you know addressing the camera or narrating or whatever to be perfectly honest i'm i'm not even my my purpose isn't even to share my purpose Mm -hmm. isn't even to try to to connect (laughs) i think it's kind of just a byproduct of the human condition and that we we all have uh an empathetic nature so Mm. like you know, I, I'll be honest, I feel like if I knew people were watching, I I, I might freeze up, you know, in, the, in, in a way, I, I find it almost easier to stare at a camera and talk than to look at a person in the eye and talk, mm. <laughs> you know, because it's, it's, until it's out there, like, you know, sometimes when I hit upload, I'm like, oh, God, is, is this too much? You know, is this TMI, you know, but when I'm editing them, as I'm editing them and as I'm watching them, to me, I don't think about that stuff. I kind of forget, you know, I'm kind of editing them as if I'm writing into a journal that only I mm. see, you know? And and then when I have upload, I'm like, oh, shit, I, I hope this, I hope I don't embarrass myself, you know? And then afterwards, I, I kind of forget because I start editing the next episode, you know? And, it, you know, it's um sometimes it's good to have a short memory, on these things you know and mm-hmm. I, I i think ultimately you know it's i enjoy doing it you know and i think that's kind of that's how i got into comics it was something i really enjoyed doing and with the videos it's it's just it's the same thing it's something i enjoy doing so it's you know you just i'm just following what i feel like i want to do you know mm. yeah i think sometimes it's way to have the not so let me rephrase that i think sometimes it's weird to imagine that there are people that have created these things, like, again, whatever it is, where, like like you say, if someone just, like, creates something because they want to, like, I've just created this podcast because I want to, and not, like, the same with all mm-hmm. the podcasts I listen to and your channel and everything. But I think it is always interesting from the point of view of, like, yourself when you're making something where you don't think too much about it. Like, I think it's just the idea of, like, the different perspectives of, it's like, oh, yeah, it's just like when I listen to a podcast episode or watch one of your videos, it's just being created like by people like, like me that just have a similar process as me. They're just creating something. So and it's sometimes it's easy to get maybe like detached as too strong a word. But in a way, it can be very like detached to not have if you don't have that connection there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's essentially if you had like, I don't know. Let's let's say you have an interest in botany and you like planting and stuff like that, right? Like, 
you know, it, it can get frustrating if you're, you know, trying to make something grow roots, you know, uh, keeping plants alive is, is very difficult, <laughs> right? And if you're yeah. result driven and what you want is a certain result, then yeah, it, it can be very frustrating, right? Uh, but if the whole point of the endeavor is the fact that you like putting your hands in the soil and you like watering them and you know what I mean? And you, you like digging dirt or whatever, then that's kind of the whole purpose of it, you know? And mm, I think in, in comics, especially once you are doing it for a living, it's also very easy to, you know, let's say, okay, uh, this is really nerve wracking because there's high expectations of this thing to sell. So you have that in your mind and you're like, okay, this has to be really good. But also if this has to sell, what, mm. what kind of commercial look do I need to appeal to in order for this thing to be a success? Then at that point, the creative aspect of it is kind of sullied, right? And I think what's kind of really cool and I feel in a very like lucky and fortunate place in that, you know, when, 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 I, when we were working on Clear, I wasn't really thinking about any of that stuff. You know, I was just working on what I wanted to do. You know, I wasn't thinking about, is this going to be a commercial hit? I don't know. I, this is just how I want to draw, you know? And I feel like that kind of thinking has not steered me wrong. And the thing is, is that sometimes it's not always a conscious effort, you know, like I just know that I can pinpoint certain aspects of my uh, of my own personal history, my career, where I achieved the most success. And it seemed like that success came from moments in time where the main focus and the main drive was the act of, of creating something rather than worrying about what the the final output is, right? You know, so the, the more I focus on what I think the results will be and how successful something will be or how good something will be, I find that those are the times that the process becomes unbearable, you know, but the times where I'm just enjoying the minute to minute process of creating something, if it, then at that point, it's already a success, whether somebody likes it or doesn't like it, it doesn't matter because I enjoyed making it. Right. And I think, um, you know, with, with these videos and the comics that I've been working on, I've, I've, like I said, I'm in a very uh, lucky position that the stuff that I've been working on is something that is stuff that I, I feel like I haven't had to really think about the commercial success that they may, may not have. I can just focus on the work and, you know, we, we figure out the success of it afterwards by pushing the hell out of things on social media <laughs> once the work is done. <laughs> but but in the day-to-day -day process, that's that's not part of it. You know what I mean? Like the the you you have to be happy with the day-to-day -day process because you know the the comic doesn't come out every day. The the videos don't come out every day. You know, but what you're living in, you know, 29 days out of that month or 364 days out of that year is not when those books are released and you get mm. to you know, pat yourself on the back and say the book is out. No, the rest of it is spent creating the stuff, right? So you kind of have have to be, you have to find what makes you happy during that creation, you know? Yeah. I think that's a really, uh, like, beautiful and just, just generally great note to end it on. But I, I feel like we could keep on talking for ages if it was physically possible. So thank you for coming <laughs> on. This has been amazing. No, dude, Joe, it's, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you again so much for being a huge supporter and course, yeah. for making these for making these podcasts. You know, I, I think um, 
people really enjoy hearing a lot of this stuff. And I think um, guys like you who take the time out to also do this uh, also deserves a, a round of applause. Yeah, thank you. So before we go, where can people find you on online? Did I follow you already? Yeah, uh, Instagram. I, I don't remember what my Instagram handle is. Uh, and YouTube. I also don't remember what my YouTube handle is. But luckily, I have a pretty unique enough name that if you yeah my name, you could find me pretty easily. I'll, I'll also have the your links and things in the show notes so people can go yeah, that'd be the great. description that'd be great. and click those there. But yeah, if you haven't yeah. got anything else to say before we go, I don't know if you do, but uh i do not let's let's revisit in 2024 <laughs> yeah th- yeah that'd be amazing again to have you back on someday when you can talk a bit more about what, what you're currently working on after yeah. organize yeah. that yeah 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 i i, I yeah I, hopefully there'll be some announcements um before the end of the year but uh till then i guess uh you can just yeah. find me on youtube yeah yeah so yeah to check him out we'll have to see but yeah thank you again for we on and just uh, have a great evening great rest of your day my pleasure thanks so much joe welcome back i hope you enjoyed that conversation unfortunately that's all we got time for on this episode i want to thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed the episode please rate and review the show five stars wherever you're listening i would really appreciate it if you want to keep up to date on new episodes please subscribe and if you have any questions comments or suggestions you can email the show at joetalkscomics at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on Twitter at joetalkscomics. And finally, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at joelovescomics, where we can continue talking comics. That's all for now, and I hope to see you next time. Bye!